0: Good morning, everyone. Glad to see you at 1030 Church. I'm Gavin, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you properly. And uh, we're going to have some time to think through uh, what we learn about Jesus in this section of Luke's Gospel. Let me pray. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath. freer of those who are enslaved to legalism, freer from those enslaved to lawlessness. And we pray that as we see him in action in these words, that you may help us to bow the knee to him, our Lord and Saviour, and joyfully gather with him and his people as we meet together. Strengthen us by this part of your word that we may leave here honouring your Son. Amen. Here's my opening thought for you. Humans are wired for work, rest, and pray. Now you've got to hear that last one properly. I said pray. You might say, hang on a minute, isn't it play? I reckon play comes under rest and I reckon pray is a higher priority. But think about this. You are wired for work, rest, and pray. Uh, You are wired for work and productivity. You are wired for rest and creativity and fun, enjoying the creation. And you are wired for pray, expressing your relationship with God, your Father and Maker. Now the complication to all this is that we live in a fallen world. We live in Genesis 3, not Genesis 1. And so for lots of us, work is a struggle. On one hand, we err towards laziness. And on the other side of the spectrum, we err towards worker maniacism. I don't know if that's your thing. Rest. Is a struggle. Uh, It's extraordinary that in days where we have never had more in our culture, we are more anxious, more stressed, even more depressed and those kinds of things. Actually resting in our hearts is a struggle. And pray is a struggle. We're too busy to pray. Our diaries are our masters and not our servants. And so the fact we're wired for work, rest, and pray can be a struggle in this present life. So when Jesus arrives on the scene, I want us to see this morning that he comes as the Lord of work, rest, and pray. And today, uh, Luke puts three scenes together to show us how Jesus came to liberate us from the legalism of human traditions that can bind us up and weigh us down. And he came to lead us into mercy and compassion and generosity. Uh, We've been seeing in these last few weeks that Jesus is the one who brings in the year of the Lord's favour. He proclaims freedom for prisoners. He sets the oppressed free. And in three scenes this morning, we're going to see him confront the legalism of the day, that he may set them free to love and compassion. Uh, In each of the scenes, we're going to see here, the legalists ask a question of Jesus. Why do you feast and not fast, Jesus? Why do you eat harvestable food on the Sabbath, Jesus? Why do you heal on the Sabbath? And as we hear um, Jesus answers in these three scenes, we see that he has come to liberate us from the uh, legalism of human traditions and to enjoy with him the year of the Lord's favour. So I want to come to scene one the legalists ask this question, why do you feast and not fast? Uh, we're in chapter five, we're at verse 33, and there's a discussion going on behind the scenes uh, with the Pharisees. And here's how it goes in 33, John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. That confirms what we see in Luke's Gospel. If we had time, we could track all the dinner parties that Jesus was at with all kinds of people. He had dinner parties with tax collectors. He had dinner parties with Pharisees. He had dinner parties with unacceptable people. He spent his time feasting and not fasting. Why would you do that? The Pharisees and the legalists ask. And uh, in the first scene Jesus answers with three word pictures and I think the first word picture is the most important one Why do you feast and not fast? Jesus responds with the word picture of a wedding feast And he says can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And in those days, they will fast. Jesus is saying, these are days of celebration. These are days of the Lord's favour. So like uh, friends at our wedding feast, we feast and we don't fast. Uh, just had to check. That's a picture of my third son wedding in uh March 2021. If you look carefully you can see all my four children in this passage but you can ask Sue about that later on over coffee. Uh, It was the wettest day in 40 years but that didn't stop us from celebrating. Uh, We had a great day and the picture of the wedding and the wedding celebrations and the wedding reception is all about celebrating the joy of the wedding. Now I want you to imagine that at my son's reception, I stand up with all the guests and the relatives and the friends and I say, in order to celebrate today, we are going to fast right now. No food, no drink. Only me and the bank manager are happy in this moment. And uh, uh, it's a ludicrous picture, isn't it? And that's how Jesus responds to, why are you feasting? This is a day of celebration. The Lord's Messiah was with us. He's bringing in the Lord's favor, freedom for the prisoners, and uh, freedom from oppression. And so here is a day of feasting and not fasting. Jesus has more to say about fasting in other places Especially the Sermon on the Mount and I encourage you to go and have a look at that uh, Jesus also uses a couple of other word pictures uh, He uses the word picture of patched clothing And he, wor- he uses the word picture of the old wine skin And they're both saying the same kind of thing. I think I get how both the pictures work If you're fixing the hole in your jeans, you don't use new cloth on old material, you sew it on. If you wash it, the new cloth will shrink and the whole thing will go blah. Or uh, if you pour new wine into old wineskins, new wine expands and ferments, so you need new wineskins to stretch to cope with the new wine. If you put new wine into old wineskins, it'll go bleh. And so, what Jesus is saying here. The old legalism of the Pharisees has no place in the new kingdom of God. So he confronts them with that thought. Let me take you to the second scene. And the legalists will ask the question, why are you harvesting on the Sabbath? Uh, Chapter 6, verse 1, picks up the scene for us. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields and his disciples began to pick some ears of corn and rub them in their hands and eat the grain. Now, right at this moment, it's worth noticing, even in the law, God called for mercy. So I could take you to Leviticus twenty-three twenty-two, which says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field, Or gather the gleanings of your harvest, leave them for the poor and the foreigner and the stranger residing among you. I am the Lord your God. So, even through the law, God was teaching his people to be generous to the poor and the outsider and the foreigner. So, here is a scene that fits with the law, and yet the legalists are upset. What's going on? It's on the Sabbath. And look in verse two of chapter six, some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And immediately we see the clash between love and mercy and human tradition. For the Pharisees of Jesus' day, Sabbath traditions trump generosity. Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, I think it's worth me saying at this moment that the schools of the Pharisees emerge in the in-between times between the uh, Testaments, in the days when the Greeks ruled the world after Alexander the Greek. And the Pharisee school emerges to preserve Jewish faith and culture. And so by the days of Jesus, they had turned 10 commandments into 629 rules to keep for life. And a large slab of those rules were to preserve the Sabbath. And they had slipped into a legalism that we hear here. Uh, Jesus responds to this question by going back to King David. And in verse three, he says, have you never read what David did when he has, and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, taking the consecrated bread and he ate what was lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some, some to his companions. We see Jesus' knowledge even of the Old Testament. He goes back to a time in David that I'm not sure I would have if I was having that conversation. And I could take you back to 1 Samuel 21. King David has a party. He's on a mission for the king. They're hungry and without food and he asks for some food and all there is is consecrated bread. Bread that only the priests should eat. But mercy trumps human traditions, and David ate. And Jesus uses that moment to challenge the, the uh, Pharisees who are questioning. And he wants to say to them, mercy trumps human tradition. I want to confess something to you. When I came into 1030 Church, I walked past the kitchen. There are chocolate brownies consecrated <laughs> for 1030 Church. As an act of love and mercy, I took one and I ate one. Okay. Mercy trumps tradition. And I wanted to live that out in your presence. (laughs) Sabbath rules are our servant and not our master. And that's the point that Jesus was making when he quotes David. He takes it further And he says to them, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. You've missed the point if you chase after rules and not see who is here. And Jesus shows us that Sabbath is for celebration and relationship and love and mercy, not the burdensome task of keeping rules. And uh, as the conflict increases, when we get to chapter 11, a few chapters away, uh, Jesus sharpens his critique. He says, you experts in the law, woe to you. You load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you. You built tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. Uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. So here Jesus says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Mercy trumps human tradition. Now our culture has destroyed the concept of Sabbath in a 24 hour, 24 seven work cycle And the challenge for the Christian today is to work out what does living out the Sabbath look like for us? I'll come back to that question at the end of our time. I want to come to the third scene. The third scene escalates the second one. And Jesus really goes on the front foot to challenge the legalists of the Pharisees. The legalists in this art scene ask the question, why are you healing on the Sabbath? Look in verse 6 of chapter 6. Jesus goes on the front foot to expose their legalism. Verse 6 says, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. There was a man there whose right hand was shriveled. And in a side that Luke gives us, sorry about that, uh, we get the insight as to what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were thinking in this moment. Look at verse 7. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Now, I've already talked about that the Pharisees emerge, to protect Jewish faith and culture in the days when the Greeks took over things. And we see here that they're looking for how will Jesus break these human traditions? In verse eight, Jesus knows what they're thinking. We see Jesus' insight into the situation. And we can see a parallel between this scene and the scene we saw last week where the paralyzed man was being lowered through the roof and the grumblers were grumbling. Jesus goes on the front foot. He knows what they're thinking. And he says to the man with the shrivelled hand, come here. And in the way that Luke does narrative, it all slows down and all our eyes are on this poor man. If it was you, I imagine that you would feel the discomfort of having the synagogue watch you to see what Jesus would do next. And like with the man who was lowered through the roof, Jesus puts a question to them. He says, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? to save life or to destroy it. And in this moment, we see that the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus has come to liberate those who are enslaved to the legalism of the day. And again, Luke slows us down. Jesus looks around, making sure that everyone's watching. And he says to the man, stretch out your hand and he did and his hand was completely restored the sabbath is for celebrating life life with God and his people it's for celebrating that we are wired for relationship with him and with each other It's for doing good and not evil. It's for saving life, not destroying life. Well, how do you think the Pharisees responded? Not too well. In verse 11. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and they began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. The Lord of the Sabbath has come to earth to free us from the legalism of human traditions. And over coffee, we could spend time thinking about what are the things that we make rules about, adding burdens to people, not celebrating life, even on the Lord's day. Again, Jesus has more to say to the teachers of the law. In chapter 11, he's going to say, you foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees! You give God a tenth of your mint and your rue and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. The Lord of the Sabbath came to liberate the Sabbath as a day of celebration with God and his people. Now let me go back to us and work and rest and play. Jesus came to free us from the legalism of human traditions and Jesus came to free us from Sabbath lawlessness. Uh, I was reflecting from this passage that in my lifetime, remembering the Sabbath has swung from legalism to lawlessness across three generations. My grandparents' generation kept a strict Sabbath, no sport, no shopping. Our culture kept a strict Sabbath, Eric Liddell was the great story in Chariots of Fire, not Uh, competing in the Olympics on a Sunday. Their children rebelled against Sabbath strictness. In WA I had a friend named Phil who said for a number of years he walked away from the faith because of the strictness of the way his parents kept Sabbath in their family. And then the third generation raised by the second generation, barely have any idea of what we're talking about when we're talking about keeping the Sabbath, because they've been raised in the days of 24-7 culture. The other thing that's changed is that our culture has moved away from Christian values and our government no longer uh, enforces Sabbath things. No sport, no shopping. I actually think it's a good thing that it's moved from external, because it's moved to us Christians to work out what does honouring the Lord's Sabbath look like in a 24-7 culture? And how can we make meeting with God and his people the priority in our week of work, rest and pray? Humans are wired for Sabbath rest. You are wired for Sabbath rest. Not merely the practice of a physical day off Though uh, Naps are good nanonaps are good Rests are good Sleeps are good And as I get slightly older I'm appreciating the nap all the more (laughs) Humans are wired But there's a deeper thing Going on here isn't there Humans are wired for prey For a deeper relationship with God And his people and so the question for us is, how do I order my week in a way that allows me to enjoy the relationship that God has made me for and meet with his people that we might encourage each other to do that. I'm not saying bring back Sundays, I'm as lawless as the rest of you, but I am saying in your week, How do you organise your life to prioritise that meeting with God and his people is the best thing that we can do? I've got a few thoughts here that I really want to be conversation starters for us. My first thought was we ought to prioritise meeting with God and his people in our week. And I've written in my notes this, declutter your diary. In your work rest cycle, and we've got different people doing different things and we've got shift workers and we've got Sunday workers. I'm relaxed about that, but I want to encourage you in your work, rest, pray cycle to make meeting with God and his people the first priority, the first thing that you put into your diary. And maybe you need to say no to a few things that interfere with that. Another thought that I had is that we can honor God through the way that we work. That I work for him in my place of work. And I use work very broadly, not just paid work. Work at home, work amongst family and friends, work helping each other. And I want to encourage you to honor the Lord in the work part of your life. He's Lord of that as well. And another thought, I want, I want to encourage you to honour God in your rest. Use your rest for rest, but use your rest for communion with God as well. And the last thought that I was thinking about this is that I want to encourage you to honour uh, God and help your children understand what it means to celebrate the Sabbath. Your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, if that's your case. How can we help each other teach our children that meeting with God and his people is a privilege? It's a priority. It's the good that God has made us for. And how can we say no to the things that interfere with meeting God and his people does? It's about priority and it's about being deliberate. Psalm 92 is a psalm written for Sabbath celebration, and I think it shows us what the vibe God is looking for as we think about the Sabbath. It's not burdensome legalism, but it's joyful praise. Psalm 92 says this, "'It is good to praise the Lord "'and make music to your name, O Most High, "'proclaiming your love in the morning "'and your faithfulness at night, To the music of the ten-string lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. Great are your works, Lord. How profound are your thoughts. Celebrating time with the Lord is not a burden. It's a joy. And Jesus came to rescue us from the legalism of human traditions and from the lawlessness of uh, a 24-7 culture. And as Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus says to us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Amen. Let's take a quiet moment, and then I think.